This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Ying.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Hey, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio thanking you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules to tune in to another fantastic weekly episode of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Another shout-out of wholehearted gratitude to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald's corporate sponsors, Halton Honda, Forever, and Aha That. Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless and to live more. To appear as a prospective guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald or to connect with Lisa regarding her suite of products and services, you can reach Lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. So for now, hey, our fearless friends, here's Lisa Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. Once again, we are joined by yet another phenomenal guest. So who is my guest of today? Well, what I can tell you is Megan Keller is the pragmatist-in-chief of this author duo. Her organization, wit, and budgetary skills are constantly being called upon to make big ideas into reality. Known for her ability to quickly assemble tents, she's also renowned throughout the country for being able to start a campfire in a rainstorm. When working with Emily, her counterpart, her role also includes chief car organization architect, chief playlist officer, lead harmonizer in Hamilton sing-alongs, and hashtag genius. In other parts of her life, Megan is a creative project manager and salesperson. She lives in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald, my friend. How are you today? I am so good. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. I mean, I'm, I look forward to these interviews. This is like the highlight of my Friday. So I want to thank you very much for the gift of your time. And of course, with what's going on in the world, we all have extra time on our hands. So what better productive way to use it than to inform our audience with all the yumminess of what's going on in your life. So let's yeah. dive right in. I, I was very... Um, very grateful to have received this beautiful book. And of course, uh, not that long ago, I interviewed the co-author, your counterpart, your partner in crime, uh, Emily Hoff. And it was a lovely interview. And, you know, I know we're going to get all kinds of different perspectives and answers throughout the course of this interview. But your publisher, uh, Penguin Random House, sent me a, a copy of Scenic science of the national parks and explorers guide to wildlife geology and botany and let me tell you what a beautiful book it is and my children are also nature enthusiasts as am i and certainly for the situation of what we're currently sitting in we have a greater newfound appreciation for what we're all missing and what we perhaps took for granted so i'm going to let you dive right in and talk about the book launch because that happened when yeah, so the book came out officially on March 31st, which was only a couple couple few weeks ago, I guess we would say. Mm-hmm. 
And how's that um, been going for you? I know it's been precarious times, but everybody's ingesting content right now. And so Amazon's going through the roof. Netflix is going through the roof. And although it's not the customary traditional way of how to sell a book, you know, generally people do book signings and things of that nature, which we can't do at this point in time. Uh, but I actually, as I, as I mentioned to Emily, I think this is in, in a very unique way, the greatest time that your book could have come out. Yeah. So I think for us, um, first of all, obviously no one ever anticipated this on our team. Certainly no one anticipated this being the kind of state of the world when our book would come out. And so I think for us and our team at 10 Speed and Penguin, it was just a matter of pivoting and kind of trying to maximize our reach and our opportunity right now, given the situation. Because obviously you know, we would have loved to go to some national parks and talk about the book and talk about those parks and their content. And we aren't able to do that right now. And so for us, it was really a matter of one, um, reaching out to our original in-person launch partner, which is Caveat, which is a, an intellectual speakeasy in New York City. And we were going to do an in-person launch event there. And so given the situation, they had been moving all of their content into live stream. And so we were able to do um, a pretty cool live stream event on the launch day with them, which was actually, you know, not what we had intended our launch to be, but it was pretty cool because we were able to bring in a heck of a lot more people because we weren't restricted geographically anymore. And so Absolutely. we were able to do that. Yeah, we were able to do that and it was a ton of fun. And um, that was kind of our first venture into producing online content. And now we've had a lot more opportunities to do that with other um, events that have pivoted to moving online and then uh, other projects that we've had going on have kind of recruited us into doing some online content for them because we know what we're doing now, right? And mm -hmm. so it's it's been a pretty cool opportunity just with regard to online content and coming up with creative ways to promote and discuss the book that way. And then obviously right now, you know, people are essentially restricted to armchair, armchair travel, as we call it. And so yeah. our hope is that in talking about the book and sharing the book with people, they can either, you know, start to plan a real trip to a park when it actually opens back up, or mm -hmm. they can just right now read and take an adventure, um, either sitting on their deck or sitting inside and, and kind of transport themselves to those special places uh, just with the power of the book. And so... I think you're right. You know, I think it's important to reframe and, and to think about this as an opportunity and not a disappointment and also give ourselves the grace to know that it wasn't exactly how we expected it to be, but it can still be something great. Bingo. Well, when does life ever go according to plan? Let's face it, right? <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, we exactly. Know that, we know that there's different magnitudes of, of the truth of that showing up in different aspects of our lives. And this is something we're all currently sitting in the same boat. I mean, it's not very often good circumstances or, you know, or the alternative to that where everybody on the face of the planet is sitting in the same boat. So I think this is a great opportunity for introspection. I think, you know, people should be taking advantage of, you know, what they can do differently when this all lifts and we can come back and emerge in the new world of what's new and normal, uh, knowing that's going to be completely different. And, you know, so this is a period of introspection. It's an opportunity to look at our lives, look at what perhaps, um, you know, talking about your passion and this book having been birthed, uh, it taking five years, you know, I really encourage people to take a look at, okay, how can I more productively, constructively take advantage of my time 
Uh, what things have I perhaps put on the back burner and always made the excuse of, well, I don't have time. My life's just too off the hook. Now is the perfect time for insight, perspective, change, renewal, innovation, creativity, clarity, everything. So let's talk about the inception of the book, because it is my understanding that this was a five-year project before it yeah. was birthed into a tangible uh, product. Uh, so let's talk about some of the nuances. Let's talk about some of the storytelling behind the scenes for what transpired between between you and Emily uh, in the whole concept and concept in then leading into like the intermittent different stages before it became a book ready for book launch. Yeah, definitely. So you're exactly right. It was a project that from kind of end to end was five years in terms of coming up with the idea of writing a book together to actually publishing a real tangible book and so that's a long time and so I think initially so and I I call Emily Emmy um okay. we've just been friends forever and so if I slip into calling her Emmy it's no that's, that's okay. just I how it is it. um it. and so we met in undergrad as theater majors actually and we were roommates and we were best friends and we really bonded over study guides and learning and, and being really curious people. And we had, outside of theater, we both had other majors as well. Um, Emily focused on history and I focused on English. And so we kind of had these dual lives, right? We had our theater lives and then our other extracurricular education activities. But we really bonded over learning and studying together. And I think during that time, as we realized our kind of innate love of learning, we also realized that eventually we wanted to work together. And, and so our lives took really different directions. Geographically, we were separated. I bounced around quite a bit. She moved uh, to New York. And we just kind of kept in contact about working together and what that would look like and how we could make it happen. And I think for us, a through line has always been you know, once we decided we wanted to work together, we figured out how to make it happen. And I think whenever we set a goal for ourselves as a duo, certainly we achieve it. And and there's really no question about it. We just kind of make it happen once we decide what we want to do. And so, you know, we had already discussed wanting to work together and kind of had principles of, and this is, you know, after graduate school and after careers had started, we started talking about different things that we would like to do. And we kind of always came back to our passion for learning and our passion for curiosity and our desire to share that with people. And so I would say, from a business perspective, that's really what grounded us and what we wanted to do. And then the idea of a, writing a book came up through, you know, talking and ideating about different things we could do. And um, at that point, we were like, okay, if we wrote a book, what would we want to share with people? What are we passionate about? And we landed on travel and science and kind of fusing the two together. And so Obviously, people travel for any number of reasons, and we thought, what if we traveled as people who wanted to explore science in, in special places? And immediately, we both thought about the national parks. And so it really evolved from wanting to work together to wanting to write a book together to science in the national parks in some capacity relatively quickly, I would say. And then we, again, we were both at this point in time had careers that we were in, and so Emmy works as a professional writer, usually in the museum space, in the science and history realm. And I have a background in sales and project management. And so we were doing this really on the side as a passion project initially, had a lot of meetings about science and travel. And then 
you know, we started a prototype. And so we took a trip initially in 2016, is that right? 2016 to the Badlands and started talking to scientists and seeing who would talk to us and who would hike with us. And, and the people in the parks were so generous with their time. And so, you know, we were able to ideate about what the book would look like over the course of that year. And then the following year, we planned a trip to Grand Teton around the total solar eclipse that happened. And so we did um, Grand Teton, Yellowstone, Glacier. We went up to Canada to Waterton um, Glacier's sister Canada. park. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> then we kind of circled back around and went to Craters of the Moon National Monument. And still at that point in time, we were really focused on science and learning, but we really wanted to also tell our story and, and use a narrative of like what our experience was as science tourists. That's what really started us. And and how we were really getting curious, like a catchphrase of ours, and how we were getting curious in those parks. And of course, over time, now we're in 2017. So over time, that just continued to evolve. We ended up finding an agent. And we started to learn that we would need to be more flexible with our idea in order for it to be a reality. And so mm -hmm. we moved away from focusing solely on a narrative and other ways to help share science in the parks with people. And so, you know, more time passed and we were writing proposal after proposal and really working on how we wanted to do this. And our agent ended up connecting us with our editor from 10 Speed Press. They they met with each other on a different matter and struck up a conversation around this, this project. And um, that's when 10 Speed Press got involved and they're really known for beautifully illustrated books. And in the science space, I think Caitlin, our editor, really wanted to hone in on science in the national parks, but more from a guide perspective. And so this is 2018 now, and we hadn't fully considered writing a guide, but it started to really make sense about what we wanted to do. You know, we wanted to share curiosity and share science tourism with people. And so what if we still used our voice in the book, but rather than talked about our experience, just talked about different ways you could look at the landscape and experience it without a uh, necessarily having like a science background or a degree in science. So how could we communicate this science to people in a meaningful way? So then we had the amazing opportunity. We got a book deal. And so we got to travel for four months to 25 total national parks. And wow, it was a four month trip of a lifetime. And um, we obviously bonded and, and worked over that whole entire four month period of travel. And then we went into our respective homes and wrote for another I guess four or five months and then we submitted a first round of the manuscript and kind of went from there and so that's like a very fast-tracked version of the story but essentially we were really grounded in getting curious and getting curious about science and science tourism and that we let that project evolve into what it needed to be and I don't think either of us anticipated the book five years ago to be what it is today but I also don't think either of us could be more pleased with how it came out. Well, it's gorgeous and congratulations and kudos to you both. Uh, you know, and I, and I really appreciate you for the benefit of the listening audience because uh, there are a lot of, you know, wannabe authors um, who are looking to manifest this. 
uh, I really appreciate, and as a fellow author myself, breaking down the process because it also further goes to really when I congratulate you, I truly do because there's different formats of books, there's different genres of books. Some I think are easier to bang out than others, but for your specific genre of book and what the topic entails, uh, you know, you really did walk the talk when it came to doing the lay of the land research and what then got embodied into the book and the spirit of all of that coming to life. And it truly is a beautiful book in every which way, illustrations, content, format, the way it's been organized uh, and laid out and presented. Um, it's an easy read. It's a very insightful read uh, and it's an enjoyable read. And I think, you know, when an author can accomplish all of that, uh, and honor the spirit of the vision that they held to bring it to fruition and know that, okay, this is the finished product and I couldn't be more happy. I couldn't be more grateful. Um, you know, so all around full circle moment. I mean, you two should be exceptionally proud of yourselves. And I think it's just a wonderful book that I think has more, even more so for the times that we sit in. It's got more merit. It's got more buzz attached to it. It's got, you know, all the things that you would hope people would innately, uh, you know, feel anyway in terms of sharing your passion or sharing the vision. Uh, and getting behind you. But I think people now, as I mentioned in the top of the hour, they have a newfound appreciation because, you know, we have taken so much for granted. We truly have. And this mm -hmm. book re reinforces why not to do that anymore now that we've got the gift of once, you know, soon embarking upon everything when this lifts. So let's talk about, as I did with Emily, because you're both going to obviously have different perspectives. Um, you know, what did, what did you come to learn more so that you otherwise would not have about yourself throughout this cathartic catalytic process of having written this book and all the traveling that was involved and all the research and all the unearthing that came to life. I mean, what did you learn fundamentally about yourself and how did this further deepen and enrich your relationship with Emily? Yeah. So I'm going to answer in the reverse order, I think. Um, okay. With, with regard to my relationship with Emmy, I think there I can't speak enough to how helpful it is to go through a process with somebody else. So it would be, would have been a very different book and a very different um, situation entirely if I had been a solo author. And so I think both of us really, really leaned on each other in a way that you can't really lean on yourself and you can't necessarily lean on another team member if you're not in the exact same situation. And so you know, we always had each other's backs. Obviously, we had our own disagreements throughout the process. That's just kind of the way a working relationship goes. But, you know, we always had uh, the ability to defend each other and to lift each other up and to have another person with essentially the same perspective and the same goal is, is just so immensely helpful. And I think for us, you know, we both have significant others in our romantic lives. We obviously have family that are separate and teams, you know, with regard to work and everything. And so I think having a partnership like this that we've always known will produce good content and mm -hmm. also will retain a strong friendship as well. It's just a really fascinating relationship that I can't really say is um, similar to anything else I've experienced in my life, but certainly going through this process with another person who understands exactly what you're going through it's it's pretty rare and so I think 
our relationship only got stronger and, and deeper and continues to evolve even now. Um, and then as far as I personally go, so like I said, um, Emmy has a professional background of being a writer, obviously, and a researcher. You know, she went to graduate school for um, museum studies or museum creation. I may be getting the title wrong, but, you know, her whole post-college life has been really focused on researching and writing. And for me, my career path has just been, you know, more eclectic and I just have a lot, a much different skill set than she does. And so there are a lot of parts that go into writing a book outside of just research and writing. And there's a lot of project management. There's a lot of scheduling. There's a lot of deadline management for yourselves. There's not necessarily a ton of how the process works that's given to you, right? You have to make a lot of it up. And so I think for me, finding ways to insert my own skills and also to learn that I could also write a book. I would say that we really evenly divided the writing work, you know, the actual lift of writing the pieces in the book. Mm-hmm. And so, so for me, that was a massive achievement because my trade in my, you know, regular professional career is not as a writer in the way that hers was. And so for me, it was actually quite intimidating. And I think, uh, I learned a lot. I grew a lot as a writer. I would have said I was a very strong writer anyway, but, um, you know, when you're working next to a professional writer while you're writing a book, it, it can be intimidating at times. And she was so kind and so supportive and so eager to share what she knew how to do. And then obviously we both were learning throughout the process as well. So she was able to take things away from me as well. So I think for me, just knowing that wanting to do something and knowing that you have it in you to do it was was one piece and then obviously going back to the partnership thing having somebody else as a supportive rock through the process made it that much more possible so I don't know could I write a book by myself probably like I'm a pretty motivated person but Mm -hmm. I certainly don't think it would have the depth and breadth that what we did together has and and so yeah I just think the whole process revealed a lot about myself and what I'm capable of and, you know, we're all, we're our own worst critics, right? And so yes. I was probably the one who was worried the bo- most about the quality of my work. So right away, I had somebody looking at it before anyone else saw it, you know? So, so I just feel like having the partner there was really significant in my ability to grow as an individual. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, what I'll say to that is... Um, you know, a good portion of what we talk about on this particular show, Megan, it's, you know, it's very much about personal growth, personal development. And I think regardless of the various uh, types of guests that come on my show, uh, you know, different walks of life, different vocations, different skills, et cetera, et cetera. You know, at the end of the day, what we all come to agree with based on our own experience, uh, our mindset, our insight, all of that is, you know, you want to rise and become the best, most improved version of yourself, then that means you need to, outside of just getting a coach or getting a mentor in some respects, but it's also aligning with the people who are more proficient, perhaps, or their strength set, their skill set is one that's different than yours. But by working alongside them, learning from them, sponging it all up, being coachable, being open and receptive, that can only further enhance your own skill set and and produce really good results. Like, as you mentioned, had this been a solo book that you endeavored to write as opposed to it being coupled as a duo, uh, it would have turned out to be a completely different book. And, and also the fact that you have that duo partnership, it also... Um, 
what's predicated within that, it's an accountability piece. So outside of your friendship and never wanting to disappoint your friend on any level, certainly not consciously choosing to do so, keeping in tandem each other on track, regardless of who's more proficient in whatever domain in birthing this book. Uh, you know, when, when you hold yourself in high esteem and when you have high standards and expectations of yourself, you're only going to gravitate towards people who are like-minded. Uh, so I, I think everything that you said succinctly in your answer back to me beautifully encapsulated why this book turned out to be exactly what it is. And once again, you should both be extremely proud of yourselves. Well, thank you so much. So I will also ask you, similar to what I asked uh, Emily, is, you know, not everybody can say that they've had the luxury or the privilege uh, of traveling to 25 national parks. And for different reasons, each of them would have spoken to you differently in terms of what you learned, self-discovery, uh, just the lay of the land, the landscape, everything presents something in its own unique self. But out of the 25, if you had to narrow down which one, for whatever reason, was more profoundly pivotal for you in whatever it resonated within you, uh, whatever insights, downloads, whatever you got out of the experience itself, what would you say was your number one favorite national park that you traveled to? Yeah, so I get this question a lot, and I feel like I honestly change my answer every time. And so today, um, I gave it some thought because I knew we were going to be speaking today. Um, so I'll, I'll give you two answers, and it's not a cop-out, I promise. Um, That's okay. The first answer for me, certainly, was experiencing the total solar eclipse in Grand Teton National Park. So my vision of Grand Teton National Park is kind of, like, very specific, right? Because I experienced... a once, twice in a lifetime thing in this place. But a total solar eclipse isn't unique to Grand Teton. And so I have not been there when there was no solar eclipse. So I have this special place for Grand Teton National Park in my heart. And I would love to go back and kind of explore it without the total solar eclipse as a piece. And so I also go to like Olympic National Park so the Pacific Northwest, uh, I hadn't actually been to the Pacific Northwest at all before these travels. And I'm a relatively well-traveled person. And so having not really been to the Pacific Northwest and then going to this amazing park with, you know, obviously coastal features and rainforest and everything, I think for me, it was just this really remarkable experience of, I live in Minneapolis, which obviously is not the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> um, and so I think for me, being on the coast and breathing that air and then being in the in the rainforest, like the literal rainforest and just being like, wow, like the Pacific Northwest is just totally different than I ever imagined. And it's certainly different when, from where I'm, I'm used to. And so I think uh, for today, I will go with Olympic National Park just because when I think in my brain and try to go to a place um, that's a pretty special place to go to. And, you know, if in the same day you can take a hike along the ocean coast and then also take a hike in um, really rich, luscious forests all in the same day, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. And so I think that's what I'm going to go with today. Beautiful. Lovely. Well, and then the second question that I would ask that's a segue to that one is, you know, if you were gifted the opportunity, the adventure of only ever being able to embark upon travels to one other place, call it 
inside a national park, outside of a national park, what would your choice be for where you would wish to go? Wow. So um, there were a lot of places that we researched that we weren't able to go for the book. So the book um, includes more than 25 national parks, right? And so Mm -hmm. for me, researching some of these places and then it was only, it was almost like my own trip planning of like, oh, like if I could go to this place. So I think for me, Alaska is obviously a very big state. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think I'm just going to overall say Alaska um, because obviously everything is different there. The days are either longer or shorter, depending on the time of year. The night skies are completely remarkable. The ways that you can witness climate change happening are totally different up there than they are certainly here in Minneapolis. And, you know, the wildlife, the wild land, um, kind of the vast expanse of how much land is there. I think Mm -hmm. now after writing the book, I think I had always kind of been like, oh, Alaska would be fun. But after writing the book, especially knowing how many parks are up there and how rich the, the science and scenery is up there, um, I certainly would love to even go to super nearby parts of Alaska, but all over winter, summer, I don't know. I would go pretty much any time, uh, mm-hmm. given the opportunity really to any part. So Alaska. Beautiful. Well, you're speaking to my heart there because that's forever been on my bucket list, Alaska. And one day that will come to fruition and I hope it does for you as well. You know, what you set your intentions on grows stronger. I really believe we can manifest whatever it is we we truly want to do. We can bring that into our realm of current existence in the material, physical world. I truly believe that. Um, and case in point, your book, that being a five-year project, you, you held a vision, you and Emily held a vision, and you made it come to fruition. So anything's possible. And, uh, and for all the reasons that you cited, that's also why Alaska would be on my list as well. So let's talk about living fearlessly, you know, because it means different things to different people. Different people believe they uh, embody it either through what they've chosen to rise in the ranks of doing, uh, you know, choosing not to succumb to fear, not getting overwhelmed by, oh, you know, who am I to think that I can birth a book or who am I to think I can endeavor to do something that's going to require five years of blood, sweat and tears, whatever the case may be. Everyone's got a different definition or an interpretation. So what does living fearlessly mean to you, Megan? Yeah, so I think for me, it's it's pretty interesting, actually, because internally, I'm very critical of myself. I'm nervous. I would say I have a lot of anxiety. Um, I question myself a lot. But outwardly, um, my I have sisters and a brother, and my sister... Um, describes me as like fearless or dauntless like that's how she describes me as a human being I've moved around a lot I've explored a lot of different careers obviously I wrote this book um and so from the outside people I think see a person who isn't afraid to try or isn't afraid to fail and so to me it's so interesting because I don't see myself that way I wouldn't I wouldn't personally describe myself as fearless I think for me what it means is that I uh I'm intolerant of things being inadequate for me. And Mm -hmm. so I am very willing, like, for instance, uh, I don't know, moving. Like, I've moved a lot. And so moving locations in Minneapolis and certainly moving, you know, to different cities and different states. And so I think if I'm not satisfied with what's working, I want to change it and fix it. And so I think 
for me, that's a big motivator. And I think because of my, like that desire for things to feel good for myself overrides trepidation about change. And I think a lot of times people let a fear, like human beings are, in my opinion, generally change averse. You know, we don't like things to be uncomfortable and we don't like things to be different. And so that's why somebody lives in the same apartment for 10 years because they don't want to change it. Mm-hmm. Again, obviously, this is just my opinion. Um, so I think for me, it's not like I'm not afraid of anything, but I don't let change override my desire for things to be better. And so I think that often gets per- or perceived as as fearlessness. And I just wouldn't describe it that way. Like I have, like I said earlier, you know, you're your own worst critic. And so I'm always in my own head about things that I could be doing better or things that I could be doing more. And I guess for me, I just try not to let those things get in the way and just push through them. I think they happen for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess it just doesn't feel as paralyzing to me. So I think for me, it's trying new things and seeing what works better for me. And yeah, I, I just think a lot of people can get paralyzed very quickly by any number of things. And it's totally reasonable. I don't think there's any reason to begrudge anyone for that or shame anyone for that. But it just hasn't been the case for me. I think when something's not working, I won't sit in it for too long. Well, I absolutely love that answer because again, in terms of how it aligns with the whole aspect of personal growth, personal development, you know, for true evolution, call it revolution, transcendence of self, uh, you know, to really aspire to reach optimal potential within ourselves, it really does require one to get out of their way, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. So there, that always equates with a certain element of risk involved, right? You, you have to step into new experiences and not necessarily have the predictability of what's going to come out on the other end. But good, bad, or indifferent, we know for whatever we decide to embark upon that puts us out of our comfort zone, that's where the growth happens. You know, that's where the maturity happens. That's where the wisdom happens. That's where we're able to contrast the before and after of Megan, right? Because if everybody stayed within their uh, sense of reality that may include or incorporate mediocrity or complacency, you know, it's very easy for things to get stale. And then we miss out on the the true gift, the, the majestic gift of what this world has to offer. There's so many things Uh, that are out there for the taking, for the learning, for the sponging, uh, for the manifesting, for the everything. And so I would agree with your family member. I think you said it was your sister. I would agree. You are fearless because a lot of people cannot get away from the mundane that they themselves are willing to go on record as saying, I hate my job. I, you know, I can't stand where I live. I can't stand my landlord. I can't stand my neighbors. I can't stand my whatever. And so everyone's committed to, in some cases, being resigned. There's a resignation at the spirit level. Well, you know what, this is my lot in life and it still produces a paycheck and it still pays the bills and it's still whatever. That's not living. That's not living. I I think people who who succumb to that are spiritually dead. And I think that's the biggest shame and the insult to being alive. That's my humble opinion. So, you know, I agree with your sister. For you to just like whatever, get on a plane, get on a backpack, you know, get out the map, get out the compass, get out the atlas and go, okay, this is awesome. I have no idea what is in front of me. I have no idea what's in store for me. I have no idea what's ahead of me, but let's go and let's go have fun and let's get curious. I love it. Yeah. 
Definitely. Absolutely love it. And, uh, you know, so, you know, this isn't a religious program by any means. So I'm not trying to turn it into that. And of course, you know, when we talk about spirituality, it's a different, it's something different entirely. And I don't know anybody who doesn't have a true core appreciation for mother earth, for nature, for the planet, uh, for scenery, uh, for history, for all of those things without it doing something to you spiritually. Um, so what does, when, when you're outside of Minneapolis and when you're in these national parks, you know, what changes in you? You know, I think, so I, it's interesting. I, Emmy and I are really different in a lot of ways. I think she thrives on heavy, heavy travel and living really lean and living light and um, that kind of adventure piece, I think is much more ingrained in her as a person than it is in me. I actually am a really big homebody. And so when I am traveling, I think the first thing for me is there's this rocky adjustment period where I need to be comfortable with how uncomfortable it is to be completely away from like my house and my family and my cats and stuff. It's, it's just jarring actually for that (laughs) first moment. And then the importance of the nature piece for me, and honestly, the nature piece is important for me locally as well. So part of the benefit of living in Minneapolis is we have a lot of green space. We have a lot of trees. We have a massive park system here in the city. We have a lot of lakes. There's just a a lot of outdoor opportunity. So it's not as though I don't live an outdoor life in Minneapolis, even though it's a city. But when I am in those like really remarkable natural spaces, there are moments when I feel like I'm breathing for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I say this as a person who does have a predisposition to anxiety and stuff. Mm-hmm. But when you can feel that really clear air, breeze, um, the light usually looks a little different. And the sounds certainly are really different. Those kind of really grounding senses that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think once I'm able to kind of be like, okay, yeah, I'm not going home for a while and that's okay. And I am in this really beautiful space, taking time usually alone. And even if it's just like a quick walk or whatever, um, being by myself to like pause and breathe and actually experience, you know, typically the air and the sounds and the sights, I think is what it comes down to for me. And really understanding that everywhere I go in terms of parks, state parks, national parks, whatever, um, there's always something new. Even if I've been there before, there's always something new to see. We went to Badlands twice, um, once in 20, I guess once in 2016, once in 2018. And it was like, it's like when you go to an elementary school that you haven't been to, like you went to elementary school there and then you go back and you're 20 and you're like, wow, this is so the same and so different all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I never knew this, this, and this. So the Badlands was just like that. You know, we experienced it in a whole different way, even though we had been there before. And so I think for me, it's, it's getting grounded in my senses and breathing and allowing myself to be present while I'm there. And remembering that certainly like I said I'm a homebody so remembering that home will be there and I can always go back to it it's not like home has disappeared when I'm traveling and so really working hard to be breathe and be present I think is the biggest thing that happens to me when I'm in nature beautiful 
Beautiful. Well, one thing I, I miss, I, I lived out West for 10 years and, you know, I went to Jasper and I went to Banff and Moline Lake and Malik, Moline Canyon. And I mean, I, I miss all of that. I miss all of that. Although I'm in saying that I'm very fortunate for where I too live because it's all, it's all embedded in, in beautiful conservation. Like you'll never see like a, a, a big box store come here to where I live in Dundas. And that's one of the biggest allures for people who are willing to do the extended long commute to Toronto, uh, although it taps on time, because they just want to escape all of that. They want to escape the concrete jungle and they want to be able to go to the parks and just roam freely and get that sense of fresh air and just it be a different dynamic altogether. Um, so yeah, I can appreciate what you're saying. And that those, what you said really spoke to my senses. And that's what, as soon as you started talking about the air and the light being different and all of that, uh, it took me right back to my hikes and whatnot and my exploration when I was out West. So thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, but, but for the benefit of the listening audience as well, and, and also being cognizant of time, Megan, I'd like to give you the opportunity uh, to let it be known how people can connect with you, uh, where people can buy your book uh, and anything else. And I know it's hard to project futuristically any events or anything at this point in time, but is there anything that's on the calendar, tentatively speaking, that people could be, uh, you know, that they would want to know about that they could perhaps attend? Because again, the listenership here is expansive. It's 145 different countries. So anything you wish to share or highlight, this is your opportunity to do so. Yeah, thank you so much. I always forget to do this. <laughs> so it's very <laughs> helpful that you give me a prompt. Um, so our website is scenicsciencebook.com. And that I can... I can say it kind of exists as the best place to go if there's only one place you remember to go. So if you're looking to purchase the book, we have links to local independent sellers. We have links to IndieBound and then obviously links to the bigger sellers like Amazon. It's available everywhere. That's the great thing about working with a major publisher is we have uh, most people have access to it wherever they can find books. And so I personally would encourage people to shop local. You can often look your uh, local bookstore up online and they have their entire, like you can order the book just directly from them and get it shipped to your house. So they've really pivoted and worked hard to make their business models work during this pandemic. Um, and then in terms of keeping track of what we're up to, we're also, I think we're most active on Instagram and our handle is at scenic science book. And that is where we, we post every day. Um, we'll obviously be posting about this and that will be where we're sharing in addition to the website where we're sharing different projects that we're up to. So I think in the, con I don't have anything concrete right now uh, in terms of virtual events, but I do think we'll have a few things coming up with various partners. And so I would encourage people if they're so interested to go to scenicsciencebook.com or at scenicsciencebook on Instagram and see what we're up to. Um, some of those events would have a fee, some of them wouldn't. And we do, we're, we're working on um, leading tours through the parks as well. And so we're hoping that that will still happen. Our first one is in late July. And again, that information is on our website in the events section. Um, mm -hmm. But even still, I, even if it, things aren't opened up by then, obviously that will happen eventually. So yeah, scenicsciencebook.com and at scenicsciencebook. Um, and we're also on Facebook, Scenic Science Book as well. So you can find us for sure. Beautiful. 
Well, going back to what you said uh, closer to the top of the hour, you know, in, in terms of having proven to yourself the capability of being able to rise and really bringing your A game uh, to your contributions towards making this book what you wanted it to be and to do well and, and do yourself proud and, and do Emily proud. You know, now that you've combated that, now that you've, you know, you've raised the level, you've raised the bar for yourself, um, what's next for you? Like, would you ever, and I know that you appreciate the duality of working in concert with somebody else, specifically Emily in this particular case, but, you know, in terms of stepping outside of your own comfort zone and going, okay, I was able to achieve that. I, you know, the proof is in the pudding. I did that. I, you know, I, I took, I, I signed up for the five years that it took to, from beginning to end. And I didn't quit. I didn't waver. I didn't give up. I didn't throw in the towel. So, you know, would you ever deviate from doing something in concert with somebody else and go, okay, what can I then do maybe going off in a different, like a divergent path and doing something, you know, creatively completely on my own to further show and prove and demonstrate to myself that I'm still capable of rising in the ranks of not just only my intention setting and my goal setting, um, but seeing what I can do without somebody else being part and parcel of the process. Have you thought about that? You know, I haven't. Um, I grew up playing sports and playing music and doing theater. And I think Mm -hmm. those three things are just so collaborative. I've been doing theater since I've been a stage manager in theater since sixth grade, all the way through working professionally after college. And so for me, I've always worked in concert with people. And I I always really believe that the product is going to be stronger if other voices are present. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting to hear your perspective, though, because I haven't really thought about it as I, you know, either proving to myself what I can do or what I'm capable of or what kind of growth I'm capable of. Um, I, I guess for me, I just haven't necessarily had the desire to pursue like hyper personal creative projects like that. Mm-hmm. I certainly do things for pleasure creatively, like writing or, um, you know, photography type stuff. Not that I'm a photographer, but, you know, trying to mm-hmm. explore those types of things. Um, But I think for me, those are more, all of that is more for pleasure, like experiencing pleasure rather than growth. I think for me, I see a lot of my growth happen um, among teams, whether it's professional like work career type teams or my career relationship with Emmy. And so I'll have to give that some thought because, um, you know, I obviously certainly haven't been presented with opportunities uh, to like do this thing and whatever this creative project I that hasn't come up for me either so yeah I mean you really you really hit me with something I hadn't thought about um but I don't know I mean I don't typically say no to things and so I think if something felt like the right direction to go I would certainly pursue it I guess I guess I wouldn't I wouldn't say no to something just because Mm -hmm. it was just me but that opportunity hasn't really come up because I think I seek out uh people to work with just because of my background and you know what fair enough and oftentimes though the ideas don't come externally they come internally call it intuition 
call it, uh, you, you know, a little whisper, little voice, and sometimes we choose to dispel it or ignore it or squash it. But I, I'm just suggesting, and I'm not here to tell or script anybody for what they should do, but I'm, all, I'm a disruptor and I'm all about shifting change and the paradigm for what people generally think of. I'm very much outside of the box. Um, so, you know, part of what I think I'm here to do, and I try to take advantage of my platforms in which to get that across, not just for the people who I'm actually interviewing, but also for the benefit of the listening audience and the podcast subscribers is, you know, like really challenge yourself to step outside of the norm for how things get done. Even if those things have always typically turned into something successful or it's turned into, uh, you know, something that's also further perpetuated one's growth. Uh, and I'm too, I'm all about partnership and collaboration, but I think sometimes, you know, people can further beyond that, push themselves outside of their comfort zone even more so and go, okay, what have I never done before or contemplated doing that would totally take me out of my comfort zone may not necessarily be my preference for how I would want to embark upon doing a project because I'm perhaps more partnership based and inclined. Uh, but what have I, what have I never questioned that I would want to perhaps even contemplate doing where there's no other third party? There's no sec. It's just mm -hmm. me. I, so I like to talk about things like that. And again, it's not to take away or negate the significance or uh, the accomplishment for what you and Emily in concert have together accomplished. I think it's amazing. I think it's fantastic. It's certainly more than the average person has ever done. Um, but I just think, you know, there's another aspect of doing something or considering a different perspective for how we don't typically go about the mindset of how we approach life or goals or dreams or objectives or anything. Yeah. I mean, I, now I'm hearing how you're talking about it. I think uh, it's all, for me anyway, it's a lot easier to be motivated when other people are involved, right? And so I mm -hmm. think for me personally, what you're kind of hitting at is being, whether or not they're for professional growth, um, doing things to push my own self for the sake yes. of my own self, right? And so I think I am particularly motivated when other people's opinions or other people's money or other people's reputations are other, on the line. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think there is a lot of value in doing things that are just for you. And mm -hmm. I also see a lot of value in um, getting comfortable being uncomfortable, which is a phrase in a lot of places I think that's happening right now is like, get comfortable being uncomfortable. And so... I, that does resonate with me. And I think there's always time for people to try things for the sake of trying them for themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. So I do hear what you're saying. I think I was answering that question like in a very professionally, <laughs> professionally focused <laughs> way, right. because I would never want to venture, like, I don't want to say never, but professional stuff is scary. Right. And so it's a lot more um, easy to be fearless. I think when you have a great team or even just a great, an, collaborator with you mm -hmm. um but it also is important to try things and I do think it's important to fail too because it's not really failing you're just growing and feeling weird for a while absolutely well I just had a download you know so as a you know to connect the dots and, to, and for how this is interconnected I like I just had a download for what that could be for you again I'm not scripting but perhaps it's something you hadn't even considered but the way it could even marriage or blend well with the body of work that you already have in this book, but taking it more to like a, a solo type project um, is, you know, you mentioned photography. Like even if you took 
some pictures from your national parks, all your extensive traveling, things that people wouldn't otherwise see and certainly not see from your vantage point and what you got out of it and making cards. And even if you did like photography cards and then on the inside taking quotes or whatever uh, that it would speak to and be related to outside inside your book as you know, the content in your book, tying it together and then bundle packaging like 10 gift cards and that could be some giveaway or something to get more people to buy your book or it could be a, a separate project that has nothing to do with the book and it just goes off in its own direction I don't know I could see you doing something like that and I think it would be beautiful yeah it's not the point that you were making but there is so much content that uh we created that is not in the book and mm -hmm. photos are definitely included in that there's endless records of our travels. And so I do think um, in the context of the book, people might be interested in seeing stuff like that. And also might be like, oh, you guys took these photos? Like that's, we both kind of alternated uh, photography duty and documentation duty. So it might actually be something worth pursuing with that lens. Absolutely. Well, and there's 101 different ways to refurbish your own content, right? So if the book is the catalyst for getting the whole messaging for what you embody and what you're impassioned by and what your purpose is and part and parcel of your legacy and, and things will that people will remember of you long after you're no longer here, uh, you know, it's like, for example, anybody who's got a book, right, then it turns into a speaking circuit, then it turns into some other uh, way of deducing how the content could be applicable other ways, call it blogs, call it whatever. But from a more creative standpoint, you could even turn it into like gift cards or, or something like that. So if people don't have the luxury or the finances or the time or elect not to embark upon the national park, but they know people who would appreciate that as a gift card and they would rather buy local as opposed to going uh, commercial. You know, I mean, there's just so many different ways that you could play upon what you've already birthed and what you've already created. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Just a suggestion. I go crazy, but this is the stuff I talk about with my mentoring and coaching clients. It's like there's let's dig deep and let's go to the abstract, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think brainstorming is a lot of fun. Absolutely. So again, being cognizant of time, uh, Megan, I'd like to give you another opportunity in which to share your contact information, where people can buy the book, where people can reach out to you personally. Yeah, so the hub for everything is going to be scenicsciencebook.com. You can order the book through any number of links to retailers on the website. And then to reach out to us, there's a contact us link on the website and it will go to both of us. And then there is also uh, our Instagram at Scenic Science Book. And we are pretty responsive to direct messages there. So if anyone has any follow-up about any of this, they can feel free to reach out to, to us directly through either of those avenues. Beautiful. And before we close out here, is there anything that you would like to personally impress upon to the listening audience about anything? It can be about the book. It can be about your perspective on life. It could be about trying to entice people to get more grounded in, you know, mother nature, whatever, I'll leave it up to you. What would you like to impress upon the listening audience? Yeah, I think, you know, our mantra of get curious will forever be true. So I think getting curious and for me, certainly right now with the kind of extended time inside, right now I've been also trying to get outside um, during the night and looking up at the night sky because there often isn't enough time to do that. And I live in a city and so it's not necessarily the best night sky, but I think everyone can 
you know, step outside and look up. And so that is what I would recommend for today to people because it's so easy to forget and it's so easy to think that I don't need to go outside at night. And I think appreciating the night sky only um, brings us a more of appreciation for the entire world around us. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, Megan, I can't thank you enough for the gift of your time. It's been a true honor and a pleasure to have spent this quality time talking about some of my favorite subject matters as well. And uh, you're always welcome to come back onto Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald for any further updates or anything else you would wish to share or impart with the listening audience and the podcast subscribers. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, I want to wish you and Emily all my best. Much success with the book. No doubt that that's going to be like flying off the shelves. And I just want to say thank you as well to the listening audience for once again joining myself here and my guest of this Friday, Megan Keller. Really encourage you to get a copy of the book. I've got the book. I love it. My children love it. Um, and uh, I just want to say I'm very clear on my purpose. My purpose is to uplift you to fear less and to live more. Until next Friday, I wish everybody a safe, healthy, uplifted weekend. Take care and all my best. Love and gratitude. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio thanking you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules to tune in to another fantastic weekly episode of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Another shout-out of wholehearted gratitude to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald's corporate sponsors, Helton Honda, Forever, and Aha That. Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless and to live more. To appear as a prospective guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald or to connect with Lisa regarding her suite of products and services, you can reach Lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. And until next week, our fearless friends, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio telling you to be your own hero, be your own shero, be your own leader, and be your own best friend. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.